and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to David Messer, who is the executive director of Our Food Future. It was about this time back in 2019, standard obligatory pre-pandemic reference here, that Guelph and Wellington County were announced as the winners of the Smart Cities Challenge. And that challenge that made our two municipalities so smart? Well, we were going to develop a circular food economy that was going to reduce food waste, promote sustainable food development, and increase access to nutritious food and produce. Now, by many metrics, the project has been a success, even despite the widespread interference of the COVID-19 pandemic, but the federal funds run out at the end of the year. So what happens then? The future of our food future is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Consider these numbers, nearly 127,000 meals distributed, nearly 7,900 people with increased access to nutritious food, 150 acres of land now using sustainable agricultural practices, nearly 1,100 community stakeholders involved in programming, over 86,000 tons of food waste diverted, nearly 76,000 tons of food waste upscaled into brand new products, and over 116,000 tons of greenhouse gas emissions saved. That's not bad for an initial $10 million grant from the federal government, which was parlayed into an additional $17 million in funding from various sources, including the private sector, and nearly $2 million in in-kind donations. By most metrics, including the ones our food future established for itself, Guelph and Wellington have proved themselves a smart city, so to speak. And yet that primary funding for Our Food Future runs out in December. So what happens then? A February report to the Committee of the Whole explained that the Our Food Future office is on track to, to deliver on all its milestones and the milestones of their subsidiary office, the Circular Opportunity Innovation Launchpad, or COIL. Some of the projects currently underway will come to their natural conclusion, while others will end up under the umbrella of one of Our Food Future's many community partners. There is also a hope that a grant might come through for a proposed three-year circular economy action plan, which has been developed with community collaborators to continue to build on the success of the Smart Cities initiative. More information about that will come out in June, but we need to lay this out in layman's terms first. What's going to become of all this community work on waste and food insecurity once we get to 20? 24. David Messer is here to help us sort all that out on this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast. We will talk about the accomplishments of our food future and where projects currently stand, plus the size of the operation in terms of both its resources and people power. Messer will also discuss how the pandemic might have helped accelerate the goals of the project the office's usefulness in creating one place for anyone interested in the circular economy to gather, and how our food future measures up with other smart cities projects. And finally, we will talk about how the project strengthened the bonds between city and county, the long-term impacts of our food future, and why the office won't just disappear before New Year's Eve at the end of this year. So I caught up with David Messer last week via Zoom. Okay, David Messer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Adam. Um, 
why don't we start with this? Uh, I think we were kind of all aware of the the origin stories of the Our Food Future Office and the, the how that emerged from winning the Smart Cities Challenge. Um, but in terms of, I guess it's been four or five years since we we won that uh, competition. Uh, can you talk a bit about sort of? I guess just the basic stats of, of the office, like how big is it? How many people are we talking about? Um, you know, just that kind of the, the kind of apparatus you're, you're working with as, as the head of our food future. Sure thing. Um, so I think the work towards smart cities started in about 2018 mm-hmm. when the application process, and that was a, a few years on that. Um, the program itself with the $10 million from Infrastructure Canada didn't actually start until 2020. Mm-hmm. So sort of January 2020 is when we consider the the start date formally, which is, you know, a, a great time because the past three years have been, you know, certainly probably the weirdest that we've we faced in, in our lifetime. Um, so there's been a real evolution of the program, I think, considering the circumstances that we've been going through. So, um, you know, you may recall in... I believe it was May 2020 or June 2020, we went back back to council with a a plan called Build Back Better or Grow Back Better, sorry, um, where we brought 1.6 million of the $10 million immediately into the community to to address some of the emergency we were facing at the time. And then the program's kind of grown and evolved over time since then as well, because, uh, you know, it's an innovation program and you find what works and you run down those roads as fast as you can. And if something doesn't work or, you know, it's not the right time to work with restaurants during lockdowns. Yeah, you change paths. <laughs> so um, this, the program is co-delivered between the city of Guelph and county of Wellington. Um, we have a staff contingent in the smart cities office from the city of Guelph of uh, six, I believe, um, maybe seven. Uh, and then there are uh, there's one dedicated staff from Wellington County full-time. <clears throat> But beyond that, um, there is a team at Solid Waste Resources that works very heavily in this, including a circular economy specialist, so about four or five people there who are deeply embedded in this work. Similarly, Wellington County, Solid Waste, there's a whole team. And then we move out from there um, as really a whole community-driven project. So we have three basic work streams as part of this project. One is led by uh, public health, where they have two full-time staff working on this. Another is jointly delivered by uh, 10C and Innovation Guelph, where Innovation Guelph has about uh, three staff. It's been up to four previously. And 10C has about a staff of three or four working on this right now as well. Um, And then we grow and grow from there. So really, you know, when we think about the stakeholders who are involved in this, we count over a thousand, Mm. um, really. We're working with about a dozen departments at the university at any one time. We're working with you know, we've worked with 37 food relief organizations at different points, all of the different community groups from Neighborhood Health Coalition and Guelph CHC and the family health team and, and everyone else is involved. So it's kind of a, a big sprawling project where we're looking at around, you know, probably over 80 projects, depending on how you count them right now, um, with huge involvement from from different people. But I, I think the key of this, too, is is, is collaboration. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, not just going it alone, but finding ways and intersections and kind of using this smart city funding as this platform to pull, you know, all these different organizations together 
to find ways to to share resources, to um, share data and insights, and and collaborate to to address some of these big systemic issues in the food system. I think that's one of the things that made me want to do this uh, a podcast about our food futures because you can see those. Obviously, when I cover council meetings, I look at council agendas and look at reports and things. And there are these amazing infographics where it's like, look at all our community partners. And it's like so many different logos. And I think for me, there's an appreciation, but also in trying to understand systems, you know, trying to wrap your head around a, an office that has tentacles and like, as you said, like a, a thousand different community partners, public, private, uh, city, county provincial it's 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 really hard to wrap your head around so how do you like in in terms of like being able to manage an operation like this how like how do how do you do it i guess <laughs> yeah i mean it's uh on some level it's 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 certainly complex um but i mean i think a really important piece of work we did early on in this project was a, a food environment um assessment uh and so there were two kind of parts of this. One was looking at a material flow analysis, which tracks, it's available on our website under foodfuture.ca slash food flow study. Um, and it's this, we won an award for this at um, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities this year for this, for this study, but really looking at flows from, you know, all the way production to manufacturing, distribution, all the way down to um, consumers and retail and everything else and identifying where food waste happens. So, you know, we know a third of food waste comes from consumers, but um, a or a third of consumers' food that they purchase is wasted. Um, but most of that goes to uh, compost, whereas mm. businesses who waste a huge amount as well, all of that goes to landfill. Mm. But all that downstream food waste is completely dwarfed by all the waste upstream. And so, you know, we can go from that to look at insights on, okay, so if we're trying to address food waste... We got to do something downstream, which we have some projects looking at, you know, how to help, you know, daycares and seniors homes and grocery stores rescue food and, and divert food to compost from landfill. But then we also have a whole bunch of stuff looking upstream to look at, you know, how do we get those byproducts, which are huge, huge volumes of waste um, and to turn those into new values. So looking at it that way, the other piece is looking at sort of a food environment assessment, um, which was done by public health, where we identified you know, what are the 10 key neighborhoods across the city and county where there is the least access to affordable, nutritious food, mm -hmm. as well as what are the demographic factors? So who are the populations in our community that are most frequently experienced food insecurity? And so, you know, looking at how do we address that from those kind of two sides as well? So I think when you take that sort of systemic view, it, it helps refine down on, on what you're doing to say, okay, this is tackling this piece based on this insight. And, and a lot of the times the way you need to do that is sort of open it up. So we've run a lot of innovation challenges. Um, locally, we, have, we actually have a national one going right now on construction, which is a whole other piece. Um, and, and so, and when you do that, then you open up the floodgates and you bring in more partners, whether it's, you know, businesses with a cool idea to take a, a waste product and turn it into an upcycled product or working with, you know, we funded 40 different food access organizations or, or or sort of urban agriculture projects. And so where do those fit in the system and how can they address pieces of it? So I think that's the easiest way. And because mm -hmm. this is, I, in the end of the day, you know, this isn't a food access program. It's not a business innovation program or even a sort of civic 
innovation program. It's a systems change project. So we're trying mm -hmm. to see how can we work on all parts of the system at the same time to twist it a little bit to drive in circularity um, and address social, uh, environmental, and economic uh, options. Again, though, I'm just kind of aghast because government is good at like sort of like directive projects. Like we have this goal that we need this a, a solution to. Government is not so great at changing systems. And I realize our food future is, I mean, government funded, but also part of a government. Um, the flip side of it too is like this, this project started out with, and I have them on my other screen here, like three particular goals about increasing access to nutritious food and affordable food, um, moving to, you know, circular food businesses and enterprises, and then increase it. I'm, I'm truncating these, obviously, yeah, but and then in increasing the community benefit to unlock the value of waste. And then, like, all of that is fairly straightforward. But then you're, we're getting into areas like construction waste, again, which is a huge thing, um, has national implications. But I guess... As, as we'll get to the end of the federal smart cities funding in a sec, but you know, just like looking at all of this running through like one city office, this, these like massive systemic issues. I'm just, I'm curious, like, can you do like a thousand things well? Um, or are you, you know, is, is there a concern? Like maybe you get to at the end of some of these challenges and you realize just how you, you know, you've bit out kind of bit off more you can chew. Well, I think this is this is back to that point of it's not us doing this. Right. We do we do some of it, but it's really this broader community coming together and driving so much of this work. So the Smart City Office plays an important coordination role. We we you know have that federal provincial relationship, but then we have you know we have working tables for each of those three priorities that you mentioned, where all these kind of key decisions are made, and they're bringing together our nutritious food work stream, for instance, which is focused on that food insecurity one. Um, I think there's about 14 or 15 organizations who've been meeting for three years on that and guiding that whole process. And there's, you know, a, a voting process when we decide how we're going to drive this and then change this. And so, you know, we play a role in a hub kind of coordinating um, and sort of, I think, taking that systems view. Um, but there's a lot of, it's it's everyone else driving that action. We're not we're not delivering all of these programs. I right. think that's I think that's the thing. We're rolling a lot of this up together, mm -hmm. um, which is how we've been able to get so much activity happening kind of at the same time because we have so many amazing collaborators who've come in and some who've come from outside the area with, you know, uh, ideas saying, hey, you guys are doing cool stuff. Can we try this idea we've been trying to do here? Um, so I think that is a little bit of how we've been able to do it. And, and government plays a good role in that, actually. Government's good at administering stakeholders and and setting up these agreements and figuring out KPIs um, and working with people on all of that stuff. Um, and, and I think we have a, a very dedicated, passionate team, too. Mm -hmm. that they'll just say, you know, over the past three years, everyone in the Smart Cities office and, frankly, everyone who we collaborate with has really seen this as, you know, a mission to you know, do what we can to change the world in a in a few years, um, and uh, I think there's been a lot of dedication to really push the ball forward, and you know when it concludes, um, have those learnings that can grow and scale to other communities, but then also to other parts of the economy. Back to what you mentioned on construction, right? You know, scalability was one of the three key or four key pillars of the original Smart Cities Challenge. So thinking about how can the solutions here scale to 
um, other communities and benefit all Canadians, not just here. And we've seen that, you know, not just can some of our specific food interventions apply in other regions. Like we have a, a pilot collecting um, or diverting organic waste from 45 businesses right now um, in the institutional, commercial and industrial sector. And our collaborators there just scaled a second version of that pilot in Calgary that's standing up using the exact same model. And mm-hmm. so, so that piece, and then on construction, the whole reason that started was, um, you know, we had the process, we, we understood how we sort of went in and, and approached the food sector in this sort of systemic way and bringing together the community of the willing to see what we could do on it. Um, and the cooperators came to us and said, Hey, if we fund you, could you do the same thing in construction? And we said, let's see what we can do. And so we have a number of things going there, which um, it's probably sounds very complicated, but it's, <laughs> if you're following a, if you're following a playbook and you're going from evidence and you're, you know, looking at it as a system and, and thinking about, you know, using kind of emissions and community social and account benefit as sort of your, your North stars, um, it becomes kind of easy to pull it together. Mm-hmm. But, I, but admittedly to your point, I think it's hard to communicate sometimes externally. Yeah. And that's it. And uh, the other thing it makes me think of is that uh, the big part of the job is um, not necessarily creating the condition, at least in this instance, like you, you guys didn't create the conditions where people want to pursue these kind of projects. What you did was, you know, uh, create a point of, I guess, interest where you can sort of put a flag and put a flag on the ground and say, well, we're open for business. If you want to look at some of these options. And then the other piece of this too, is like the data collection you're speaking of, because, you know, I think there are a lot of problems, not just in our community, but in any community that really starts with having to take a moment and, and make lists and, and, and go through like all the different agencies, all the different services and say, what is everybody offering and where the gaps are? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it's definitely been something where a lot of this work was happening for a long time on the ground. And so, you know, we're, we're, when you think about the food system, we're blessed with, you know, amazing experts, world-leading experts at the university in food and nutrition. Um, we're doing amazing work. We have so many innovative food relief organizations on the ground. On the business side, I mean, Innovation Guelph has been doing things in sort of clean tech that's been sort of circular for a long time. And, and 10C has been doing amazing social enterprise work. So a lot of this was an exercise of pulling people together, um, finding some common ground and, and just showing kind of that power of partnership and collaboration, I think is really, you know, in any community, if you took all the cool work happening by a bunch of people and you summarized it in, in a one set of KPIs, I'm sure they would all look super impressive because they weren't being compiled before that way. Mm-hmm. And and this is not to say that what's happening here is new or different because I think there's a lot of new and innovative stuff happening here, but it's to say that uh there has been a lot of a lot we're, we're standing on the shoulders of a huge amount of work that's been happening for a long time in this place. We mentioned the pandemic earlier forcing a sort of a change in plan. Um maybe looking back appreciating too that the pandemic isn't necessarily over but you know did the pandemic um help i i guess <laughs> like it was ultimately the pandemic sort of like a good thing in terms of helping our food future uh reach these goals and sort of like creating opportunities to test out some of the the theories that went into creating it 
I think it created definitely a, a, a different sense of urgency than there was before. Um, and I think early on, it, it definitely made us change some uh, some ways we were focused on on programming. So in the initial sort of approach, we had nothing on urban agriculture or food mm. growing. But in May 2020, let me tell you, the only thing the world seemed to care about was our garden centers open and how can people grow food at home? Because we were all in lockdown for the first time. Um, so, you know, we we distributed, I think, 600, 700 growing kits to kids. And that's and did some other challenges to put funding into those spaces. Um, and, and likewise on, on food access and food relief, it really brought that front of mind. And then following on that too, which is really interesting, we got into this incredible challenges with supply chains and people couldn't get anything. And, uh, when you think about, you know, the circular economy model, it's really just about building more value out of what you have. So stopping mm. wasting stuff and finding ways to turn that into value. There's, um, one story from kind of our, our business side that is is incredible is working with an onion ring factory where they were taking the tops and bottoms of the onions and sending them to compost. Mm -hmm. um, and then through one of our, our coil programs, they were able to connect, that factory was able to connect with another factory nearby where they turned it, those onion tops and bottoms into an onion concentrate, which that second factory previously had to import from overseas. And there's mm. you know about $1.7 million in, in value from that relationship now where that was previously you know importing something and not saying that that came together only because of supply chain issues but i think it we certainly brought new focus on hey how can we localize our supply chains a little more and stop wasting stuff and generate more value from what we have here so i think that that piece really um supported as well mm -hmm. looking ahead um the the and again you can clarify if I'm, I'm sort of mischaracterizing things. The funding for the, the federal funding that we received um, for, for smart cities runs out in December, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. So from what I've understood from, again, and sitting in various presentations and things is that uh, the Our Food Future Office is presently sort of looking for funding to, is it funding to continue the office or is it funding to, to continue the programs that have been um, established? Let me put it that way. So I, I think there's a, there's, there's a, there's a few things there. Um, looking, this was always intended to be a, a limited term project from the start. And I think that's how we've operated it. Um, and so over last summer and fall, each of those our three main work streams developed forward-facing action plans. So they list out sort of five or six key priorities where all of the organizations that have been part of that work stream um, have agreed that saying, hey, we're going to try to collaborate on these in the years forward. And so part of our job in the next year is trying to stand up some of that scaffolding so this work can continue on in the future, um, whether or not there is a role in the city. Um, in terms of in terms of the city and sort of and city and county, I should say, and, and our role in these spaces, um, I think that is still to be determined. We're you know working through some internal processes, considering a variety of scenarios, um, and with the goal of reporting back to council in June on sort of what that looks like. Um, external funding could be a piece of some of that, depending on on what we want to do and what we want to continue or not. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, in some spaces, like certainly in the food access sector, you know, stakeholders have said to us that they've seen value in 
um, the city having, you know, having an office with the word food on the door, if, if right. they need to go and knock on it to talk about something, because, you know, these are organizations that add a lot of value to our community. So what does that look like in the future? Exactly. Um, I think that remains to be seen. Um, and there's, you know, city and, and council decisions, of course, on that. Um, but that's, that's something that we're working on right now. And I think regardless, you know, the goal is really to make sure that this work has legacy and um, the things we've learned, you know, continue to benefit here, but then also spread and grow to other parts of the country as well. So Vancouver and Halifax right now are um, looking at, you know, how can they learn from our sort of COIL model, which has, you know, delivered a lot of interesting innovation that I think in the circular economy space has been different than than what has existed before. And so how can they take what we've done and learned and and, and apply that in their areas? Likewise, you know, scaling some of our food programs elsewhere as well. I understand that there are a lot of balls up in the air and uh, and and all of that. But yeah, just thinking practically, I hate to think I hate to be the one to think practically, but um, the the whole thing about the circular economy and uh, a lot of the the things that our food future has done, a lot of that's still caked into the strategic plan that council is working on refreshing. So there is still an idea that this is going to be a part of the city identity going on for the next few years. I'm wondering though, is, is that, is, is, is that idea not sort of like baked into the, the next phase of what this looks like that, like that there's still going to be a door at city hall that uh, again, a door that says food on it, that people can knock on as opposed to like coming back to this in a couple of years and essentially having to recreate that office again, because it turns out the coordination of piece of this is maybe a lot bigger than we're anticipating, even though, as, as you've said, there are a ton of groups and companies and other cities that, that have this going that a lot of that has to do with the fact there is a door at city hall that says food on it. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know if, if going forward, there'll be a specific door or if it'll be, you know, what, what that will look like. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot to be seen on on some of those things. On the circular economy side, um, you know, Guelph was, you know, kind of a leader in circular economy and, and a lot of this stuff before this program happened. Um, and under the solid waste master plan, you know, there's some incredible stuff in there to continue being a leader in this space. So there's a circular economy specialist in solid waste, and there's been lots of really cool work happening um, there. So, I mean, whether or not some of the functions that, you know, have been happening through our food future and coil continue. I'm confident that, you know, the city will remain, um, you know, a leader in the circular economy space. Um, certainly in terms of our internal operations, thinking about, you know, there's discussions around what does a circular economy policy look like from a, a city corporate perspective. Mm -hmm. um, likewise, Innovation Guelph, who's an amazing partner of ours. Um, you know, I'm confident that they're going to continue doing work supporting, you know, innovative circular businesses, because there's so many of them. There's like our last intake, we had space for, uh, I think 25 companies at the start, we had over 80 applications of just incredible companies. Um, so there's going to be, you know, lots more um, work happening there. So I think, I think it's going to be part of the city identity. And I think, and, and one thing I'd say that's, that's pretty cool about this is that, you know, um, it, you talk I've, I've, in our presentations, I've talked about some of our work being world leading and that is actually, you know, it's genuinely true. Like we've, 
We've received an, an award last year from the Milan Urban Food Policy Pact, which is a, a global network of uh, 250 mayors from around the world. Earlier this week, we were invited um, on a call of it's about 50 cities from around the world that are really leading their way on circular economy. This is coordinated by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Mm-hmm. And so it was us, Toronto and Vancouver from Canada, but then, you know, sharing best practices with Buenos Aires and Hamburg and Copenhagen and London. And, you know, we have these international relationships where actually what we're doing here is really cool and really leading, genuinely leading edge um, when you when you look at some of those other places. So, um, you know, whatever these functions are, I'm sure it's going to be part of the city because there is momentum, there is identity, there is benefits from an economic, environmental and, and social perspective. Fair enough. Uh, I'm curious obviously because we live in Guelph, we hear a lot about our smart cities, uh, a challenge and accomplishments. Um, do you keep an eye on the other smart cities winners? Like, do you know how maybe we measure up against the, the other, the other successful projects? Like are, you know, where do we stand? So, yeah, I, um, we speak somewhat regularly. Um, and I, and I see them from, uh, from time to time. I just saw a few in, in Ottawa a few weeks ago. Um, I think some of them were impacted differently by the pandemic. So in Callowit was one of the winners and their whole thing was about building youth maker centers. And mm-hmm. I think during the pandemic, especially in a largely indigenous area, that is not necessarily, um, that had to be sort of timed out and extended Bridgewater, Nova Scotia, I think also hit some hurdles and, and, you know, some of their pro, they, I think they just launched kind of their first series of programs in last December. And so they pushed their deadline out, I think, to 2026. Um, Montreal, I think, has also had a few hiccups. So I think I think we're definitely kind of uh, ahead of the pack in terms of, you know, the other three are kind of extending out where we're actually ending early, um, which I think speaks to, you know, how, how COVID, I don't want to say benefited this project, but, you know, added urgency to this project and, and, and passion. Um, and some of the, you know, incredible capacity that we had in place. So, cause we could pick up and run and there's just amazingly innovative people who want to test new ideas from day one, which not every, everyone had necessarily. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, we've, we've had a number of discussions with infrastructure Canada on sort of what we've done. And I know they're, they're looking at doing a future, round of the smart cities challenge and i've been told that we probably can't win again unfortunately but uh, <laughs> but i think i think certainly like some of the lessons that we can bring from what we've done you know whether it's you know standing programs up quickly and leveraging community and bringing in corporate funding and, and all these other pieces um definitely try and help them say you know this is how we were able to make it, it work in our community the opposite of every other prize that's in any industry that you can't win it twice in a row but yeah <laughs> that's canadian governance for you um how about the relationship between uh the city and the county has that how is that how is this project working collaboratively on this project changed the i guess the overall relationship we we sometimes not you know don't think of ourselves as sort of um together uh, I, even though, you know, we're literally in the middle of Wellington County, <laughs> has, has that improved our relationship in, in other ways, like outside the smart city's office? 
So it might be a little hard for me to speak to that because I didn't join the Smart Cities office till April 2020. And that was when I started at the city. So I, a lot of that history, I don't necessarily have, but I understand but, yeah, where there yeah. are points of, of tension, obviously. Right. Um, for me, you know, this has been a city county project from day one, and I work hand in hand with all sorts of different collaborators across the city and county. Um, the county has its own dynamics as an upper tier municipality, of course. Um, but I mean, I think in terms of, you know, finding ways to collaborate and share best practices and sort of, you know, work, there's a number of organizations that cross between both like public health, for instance, and finding ways to build some of that collaboration, I think has been useful. Um, I think, I think more broadly in terms of how other other parts of the city, that's, I think that's a little hard for me to speak to because I don't understand right. all of those dynamics. And sure. Um, but I can certainly say, you know, from our part, whether we're looking at, you know, investment attraction leads that come in and we can share it with, with both ECDEV shops and, and get, you know, and, and find ways to deliver mutual benefits to all, all sides of this. I think we've been in a very interesting role sort of straddling that line between both mm. and seeing where we, where we can find opportunities for different parts of these organizations to work together a little bit. Um, even though some parts like solid waste, I think has always had a very good relationship um, and uh, yeah, find new ways to collaborate. Maybe to wrap up in, in the event of, you know, the smart cities office going away, what, what do you take with you from the experience? I mean, like maybe in terms of like relationships built or accomplishments, just, you know, what, how will you remember your years administering the smart city or the, the smart city office, our food future? Well, okay. From a, from kind of a professional standpoint, I'll say that, you know, I worked I did some stuff loosely around the circular economy before, but really diving into it and really being, I mean, a little bit at the forefront of what's happening around the world in some of this stuff. And like, you know, I mean, we run by far the largest accelerator in the country on this stuff. Um, there is such a huge economic opportunity from the circular economy and circular economy is so essential for climate action. We, you know, mentioned this, that, you know, 55% of emissions can be tackled from switching to green energy. The other 45% come from how we use land and how we use resources. And the circular economy is kind of the key to solving that other 45% of emissions to reach net zero. So, um, you know, from that perspective, professionally, I can't see a way to not work in the circular economy going forward because, mm. you know, it, there's so much, there's so much money coming into this space from banks and venture capitalists who see this is the future. Um, and, you know, that this is so in intricately tied to the climate crisis, the biodiversity crisis and the pollution crisis, all these, the things that are crushing the world, the circular economy is, you know, not that it's a panacea for everything, but it is such an opportunity to, to make a positive difference and to get the world that we want to get. Um, and that we need to get really in the next decade. So um, I think this project has completely made me rethink my career trajectory in terms of that, because this is so huge. And I think just for this community, we were lucky enough with the Smart Cities Challenge to sort of get in, get 10 steps ahead of everybody else on this. So we are in a leadership position, not necessarily because we're any smarter than anyone, but because, you know, we had some, some, play money from the federal government to experiment and try new things, um, which now everyone else is like, oh my goodness, that's where we need to go. So on, on one level, there's there's that piece. Um, 
then I guess from, from a personal perspective, I mean, when I started this job previously, I was running a team at an organization in Toronto and was commuting uh, several days a week. And so just the community connections as part of this program have been absolutely incredible. And there's so many outstanding people and outstanding organizations that we work with. So, I mean, getting to work with, you know, Neighborhood Support Coalition and the, ama- the incredible people at The Seed and what they're doing there and and 10C and Innovation Guelph and, and all these other organizations, um, you know, it's, I guess, you know, built my network of, of people I seem to know across the city, which is incredible. Um, but then also really built, you know, passion about, you know, the organizations making a difference in this community. And um, I think that's something, no matter what happens, I'm going to absolutely stay involved in that for sure. Well, that's, uh, sounds like you won't be lacking for work in the near future then, (laughs) which hopefully, yeah, fingers crossed, of course. Uh, Nothing is permanent in this world, as uh, the old saying goes. But David Messer, I I thank you for your time today and uh, all the hard work you and everybody at the Our Food Feature office does. Uh, It's remarkable and it's appreciated. So uh, thanks for coming on to talk about it today. Thanks so much, Adam. Likewise, really appreciate everything you do to make sure everyone stays in touch with what's going on at the city. Thank you. And once again, that was David Messer. You can find out more about Our Food Future at foodfuture.ca. There was also two different reports about the work of Our Food Future that were presented in the last month. One was to Guelph Committee of the Whole, and the other was to the Wellington Dufferin Guelph Board of Health just last week. And of course, you can see that coverage on both those meetings over on Guelph Politico. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, or you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can do that by finding all the information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news check out guelphpolitico.ca where there will be a new episode of the guelph politicast for you this time next week and until then we will see you next time